Welcome to this week's Point Community Church Sunday Sermon. If you'd like to learn more about the Point Community Church, please visit our website at tpcc.org.au. If this is your first time here, my name's Steve Kovitz. Uh, we're about to um, look at those words together. Uh, so hopefully you've got a Bible open. John chapter 7, I'm going to preach a sermon on that in just a sec. But first, a couple of... Uh, uh, one housekeeping thing and one thing on the sermon and listening. Uh, firstly, um, it gets warm in winter, doesn't it? And it gets cold. Did I say warm in winter? I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it gets warm in summer and cool in winter. Uh, last winter, we are in Port High over on the other side of town and there was no gas for the heater. And so we got used to bringing blankets. Like some of us actually brought blankets in for church. That, that was a good way of dealing with the cool. So a good way of dealing with the heat, some of you are thinking, is why don't we turn these fans on? They're too noisy. They actually, like, like as I preach when these fans are on, I notice everyone straining like this through the whole sermon, um, listening to people up the front. So here's my suggestion. Bring in, like, Robin's got a fan. Look at the Robin's lettuce well. Bring in something. Fan yourself. Keep cool. And we're going to listen to God's word together. As we do, uh, you might have a question. And so here's the second point. Um, we have a phone number up here. You can text questions in during the sermon. And then our MC uh, Ben, this week, will bring the question forward and I'll try and answer them. Let's pray as we look at God's word. Um, Father, you are in heaven, in control of everything. Nothing takes you by surprise. You see everything. You're in control of everything. And so we pray now. That as Robin has just prayed, uh, we will put the cares of this world aside and we will hear you speak. Father, change us, grow us, help us to love the God who is in control of everything. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our state election is just around the corner. March 25. This is a big one, isn't it? Because there are big issues on the table global warming. Uh, we're worried about global wars, potentially. Uh, I said global warming, climate change, renewable energies on the top uh, big agenda ticket items. Uh, we're rightly highly concerned about First Nations equality. Uh, we're concerned about uh, sexual gender identity uh, issues. This is a big election. And so I thought I'd use this sermon to tell you who you must vote for. <laughs> you laugh. Um, I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. But I did want to get your attention. And I did want to get your attention on the issue of authority. Who am I to tell you who you must vote for? I wanted to get your attention on the issue of authority because the passage that we're looking at this morning is all about Jesus' authority. Uh, uh, Barry has already led us there, hasn't he? Uh, those of you who know him, a.k.a. Harry, the kid spot. Uh, this is a sermon, this is a passage that's all about our submission to Jesus. Uh, two weeks ago, our question was, what do you want from Jesus? Uh, last week, our question was, what does God want from us? This week, our question is, do you love Jesus' authority? 
Now, that's a different question to, do you love Jesus? Uh, you see, because we could love a Jesus that's not the real Jesus. We've been reminded over the last couple of weeks that uh, we are tempted to treat Jesus as a genie. We're tempted to work for God so that we can get from God. We're tempted to treat God on our terms rather than God's terms. And so this week, the question is, do you love Jesus' authority? The first thing we're going to do is see how the plot of John chapter 7 forces us to ask that question. Then we're going to look at a couple of verses uh, uh, where Jesus raises the issue of his authority. And then we're going to finish with having to think about Jesus' authority as we walk with Jesus in the 21st century. So that's where we're headed. The plot, the issue, Jesus, and 21st century freedom. That's where we're going. So firstly, the plot. Chapter 7 is a long chapter, 52 verses, so we don't get to read through it all this morning. And so I do want to give us a summary, though. We need to capture the plot of this chapter. Verse 1 begins with, After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. And so after this, it refers to picking up where we left off last week. And remember where we left off last week? Thousands of people walking away from Jesus. They only wanted Jesus' miracles. Jesus confronted them and thousands of people left Jesus. And then as for the Jews who wanted to kill Jesus, well, Phil took us through that part of John's Gospel a couple of weeks ago. John 5, we're told that the religious leaders wanted to kill Jesus. And so a major theme of John chapter 7 is disillusioned crowds and murderous religious leaders. And then the next couple of verses of John chapter 7 tell us about Jesus' unbelieving brothers. Mary and Joseph had other children after Jesus and uh, these brothers are grabbing Jesus. Hey Jesus, you're up in Galilee, go down to uh, Jerusalem. Basically they were saying, what are you, chicken? (laughs) Uh, Jesus' brothers. They knew that a big Jewish festival was about to happen down in Jerusalem. Jesus is up in Galilee because Jewish religious leaders wanted to kill him. And and his brothers are like, come on, why don't you go down? If you're such a big shot, go down and show yourself. And verse 5 tells us the reason why Jesus' brothers talked like that is because they did not yet believe in Jesus. Now, Jesus didn't listen to his brothers, at least not explicitly, but listen to how Jesus did respond to his brothers. Verse 6, John 7, verse 6, Jesus said to his brothers, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast, I'm not going up to the feast, for my time has not yet come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. Did you hear all those references to time? And when Robin read some verses from later in chapter 7, again we heard, my time has not yet come. Jesus is saying something about his time. He's also saying something about the world. 
In John's Gospel, the world hates Jesus. And so Jesus says he's come to testify about the world. Wow. John was an excellent writer. He would have got an A plus for this introduction to John chapter 7. He builds the tension. There is so much tension. Uh, there's, there's tension around, uh, we feel intention in this passage. And then we're also seeing Jesus' absolute authority. We're feeling the tension because there's this ambivalent crowd. What's left him last week? And then we're also feeling the tension because the religious leaders want to kill Jesus. And then we're feeling even more tension. Jesus' own brothers didn't believe him. But we are seeing Jesus' authority. There are multiple references to time in chapter 7. Jesus is saying he is in control of his time. And actually, he's saying something more than that in John's Gospel, isn't he? Because John's Gospel opens with, in the beginning was Jesus. Jesus is in control of all time. Come, come with me back to John chapter 1, verse 1. Let's read it again. John 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, the Word is another way of referring to Jesus. And so, in the beginning. In the beginning of what? In the beginning of everything. In the beginning of everything. Before time, God was. I don't fully comprehend that. But in the beginning, God was already there. Jesus was there. Jesus is in control of all time. And that Jesus, who is God, came into our time, came into our world. Now the world hates Jesus. But the world cannot overcome Jesus. Jesus will set the time for his death. You see, Jesus came into our world for a mission, to go to the cross, to die for our sin. And the religious leaders won't dictate the time of that. The crowd and the disillusioned crowd won't dictate the time for that. Jesus' brothers won't tell them what to do and how to do it and when to do it. God will set the time for his death. So while there's tension in chapter 7, the disillusioned crowds, the murderous leaders, the unbelieving brothers, Jesus is in control. What, what a page-turning plot. This is an awesome read. Now verse 9 takes us to the festival and the crowds were wondering where Jesus was. You know, they've heard about all these miracles and so they're thinking, I've come to the festival, this big seven-day festival. Where's Jesus? I want to see you from Jesus. And they didn't find Jesus. And so the crowd starts gossiping. Some were saying Jesus is good. Some were saying Jesus is bad. And so we got more tension. We got gossiping crowds at the festival. Now, Jesus did turn up halfway through the seven-day festival. Jesus walked into the temple and started preaching. I reckon that's a massive flex. How alpha moved. People want to kill him. 
crowds are ambivalent, and we're just told Jesus turns up and starts preaching. <laughs> now, um, we're going to get to what Jesus was teaching in a moment, but for now we just need to know Jesus' teaching further divided the crowd. Some marveled at his teaching, some recoiled at his teaching. Lots of tension. And to add to the tension, we read in verse 32 that the religious leaders sent officers to arrest Jesus. Now, the officers didn't arrest Jesus. They listened to Jesus' teaching and went, ooh, there's something in it. And so they didn't arrest Jesus, which caused more tension because then the religious leaders get really, really cranky at this point. The chapter ends with the religious leaders in a blind rage. Turn to the very last verse of chapter 7. Verse 52. John 7, verse 52. Next week I'll touch on why verse 53 is not the last verse of chapter 7. Come back next week, hear some more about that. Verse 52. These religious leaders who are in a blind rage, they reply to the... uh, Uh, questions around maybe Jesus is a good man. They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Oh, really? You religious leaders that know your Bible inside out, have, have you read about Jonah and Nahum? They are so full of blind rage. They tell lies. They manipulate. They are angry. They just want Jesus arrested. This chapter is full of tension. And now we turn from the plot to the issue. What what got under the religious leader's skin to make them so angry? Well, if we've been holding John's gospel together from the beginning, we already know, uh, John chapter 5, verse 18, This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill Jesus, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. You know, if somebody today claims to be God, we get some mental health help around them. But what do we do with the person who claims to be God and turns water into wine. Who claims to be God and and heals, like that, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. What do we do with the person who claims to be God and takes a sandwich and turns it into a supermarket? And what do we do with the person who has all that God power and compassionately comes alongside people? Remember, Jesus was the only one to come alongside that paralytic who had been paralyzed for 38 years. Everyone else leaves him alone. He's too messy. Jesus gets alongside him. And then, what do we do with the person who claims to be God, has all the God power, has all God's compassion, and teaches like nobody else? What do we do with Jesus? He has God's power. He has God's teaching. And the way we're asking that question today is, do you love Jesus' authority? Let me show you why that is the issue of John chapter 7. John chapter 7, and come back to 
verse 14. I'm going to read from verse 14. John 7, 14, you follow along. About the middle of the feast, remember this is a seven-day feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. Verse 17 is stunning in its simplicity, explosive in its meaning. Jesus was speaking to Jews, people who accepted the fact that the entire world is made by God. Jews accepted the fact that God's will determines everything. The Jews already knew this, but they were sceptical about Jesus. Jesus says, well, if you hear God, if you want to follow God's will, if you're all about God's will, you'll hear me. You'll know me. Now, this reminds me of internet memes at the moment. You, you might know some people like to mock Christians for what Jesus is doing here. And the accusation goes something like this. You Christians believe that God is real because the Bible says so. So, you Christians, who wrote the Bible? God wrote the Bible. Oh, so you believe in God because the Bible says so, but then you want to turn around and say that the, God wrote the Bible that says that he's real. And it's a mic drop. Ha-ha, we got you. It's a circular argument. It's no good. It's rubbish. Let's think about Jesus' circular statement in verse 17, and, and we'll come back to the modern-day meme. The crowd was questioning Jesus. The crowd was Jewish. They believed in God, but they were sceptical of Jesus. They wanted Jesus to prove that his teaching was true. And in verse 17, Jesus says, If you truly know God, if your will is to follow God's will, if you truly are after God, when you hear me, you will know that I'm from God. Jesus is basically saying this. You want to know if I came from God or not? I did. Full stop. That's the answer. I am from God because I came from God. Verse 17 is stunning in its simplicity, yet explosive in its meaning. And verse 17, it's a game changer for you and me. Brother, sister, how do we know God is real? Because the Bible says so. How do we know that the Bible is true? Because God wrote it. How do we know God wrote the Bible? Because the Bible says so. That sounds circular. Because it is. But that doesn't mean it's stupid. That doesn't mean we're stupid. It forces us to ask the question, 
Do we love God's authority? Do we love Jesus' authority? Do we love the fact that God is in charge and speaks into our time and into our world? Or do we want to be in authority? Do we want to be the ones to decide if God is real or not? Do we, want, do we love the fact that we're created in God's image? Or do we want to produce a God in our image? Did I say that right? Do we love the fact that we're created in God's image? Or do we want God to be in our image? God's authority, God's sovereignty, God's in charge, God as boss, God in control is either a rock we break ourselves in against or a paradise we find eternal life in. And God, Jesus, in this passage, in chapter 7, he wants us to find the paradise of eternal life. Um, come to John 7, verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Do we love Jesus' authority? Jesus has come to bring springs of living water. Do you thirst? Do you hunger for life? That is what Jesus came to bring. And yet we can be so fickle and foolish. Rather than love Jesus' authority, we think that we can find life apart from Jesus. You know, every time we quench our thirst on sin, our soul shrinks a little bit. Robin, thank you for leading us in a prayer of confession this morning. That's what we need to do every day. It's like C.S. Lewis said decades ago, our problem is not that our desires are too big. Our problem is that our desires are so small. We're easily satisfied with money and, and sex and food and career when Jesus is offering living water. Eternal life. Life to the full. And our desire to find life in anything but Jesus is so strong that God had to send his own son to die on a cross for our sin and send his spirit to rebirth us. Remember John chapter 3, Nicodemus said, how can we be born again? How can we be rebirthed? That was the question of John chapter 3. We need the Holy Spirit to come and remove our old heart of stone, a head full of rocks, a heart made of stone. We just sung about it. And give us a new heart that can now rightly hunger and thirst for God. Which is why the Christian can read the Bible and hear the very voice of God 
but they're not yet Christian, just, just hears a bunch of words. No, that, that, that's circular. You believe in God because the Bible says so, and you think that God wrote the Bible, but they just hear words. But, but you and me, this is manna from heaven. This is the bread of life. This is gold. This is more precious than uh, precious stones. This is the living, active word of God. And so the issue sitting at the heart of chapter 7 is the issue sitting at the heart of all of us. Do you love Jesus' authority? The authority of Jesus is either a rock we break ourselves against or an eternal paradise of eternal life. Which means we have to talk about Jesus and the 21st century. Western culture at the moment is totally opposed to any external authority. Our big mantra, the big thing we live for in the 21st century is freedom. Human freedom, individual freedom. That's, that's what we want to talk about. And therefore, the greatest sin is to be subjected to Authority, to subject authority on someone else. Now, individual freedom is a good thing. In the West, we look in on China's treatment of the Uyghur people and we're appalled. And, and we don't just point the finger, we, we look internal. Australia, white Australia's treatment of First Nations people, our treatment of marginalised people, our, our treatment of the disadvantaged. Individual freedom, individual rights is an important issue. Christians agitate for freedom and for rights. And did you know, like at the moment, there's, there's non-Christians, actually. Um, uh, Douglas, uh, Murray Douglas, uh, Jordan Peterson, uh, Tom Holland, not Spider-Man, but an English guy, okay? If you look up Tom Holland, don't go for the Spider-Man Tom Holland. The guy who wrote Dominion Tom Holland. Non-Christians are saying that Western culture would not even have a category for human rights if it wasn't for the Bible, the Christian Bible. But we care about human rights. We care about human freedom. But, you know, it's one thing to recognize that this book has good advice. And it's another thing that this book is the words of Jesus Christ who demand Repentance and faith and obedience. We don't come to Jesus for good advice. We come to Jesus for salvation and kingship. Christians love Jesus' authority. If our will is to do the will of God, if our motivation if our, everything that we live for, if our will is to do the will of God, we love Jesus' words. We obey Jesus' words. We do Jesus' words. And we declare Jesus' words. So, brother, sister, how do we express our love for Jesus' authority in a culture that is increasingly opposed to Jesus' words. It's easy to link arms on some of culture's big issues like climate change and racism and poverty 
concerns over the rise of autocratic nations. We share similar values. We have similar concerns at that point. And so it's easy to line up. But, but what about when we don't share values with the culture? What about the hot topic? Hot potato topics at the moment. Abortion. Euthanasia. Lesbian, gay, bisexual issues. Queer and transgender issues. How do we do this? How do we talk to our friends and our family when society at the moment, when Western culture at the moment is very opposed to what Jesus has to say? Western culture says, my body, my choice. Jesus says, I made you. I know you. Come to me and you will find springs of living water. You will find life to the full. How do we stay engaged with our family and friends as Western culture is becoming increasingly hostile to what Jesus is saying? And brothers and sisters, isn't that what we want to do? We want to stay engaged? Because I don't think what we've tried for the last 30 years works anymore. The don't ask, don't tell isn't going to work because society's put it all on the table for us. And so how do we stay engaged? How do we continue to walk toward people that don't necessarily want to walk towards us? First place to start is brokenness. Every day, we should break ourselves on the rock. (laughs) We call it confession and repentance. Every day, we confess our own sin to God. And as we do that, we're going to go, well, of course our friends and family reject the authority of Jesus because sometimes even I resist Jesus' authority. So we come to Jesus. We confess and we repent. We humble ourselves before the Lord and we see, wow, I need Jesus just like the whole world needs Jesus. And so our starting point is brokenness. And then, and then remember, this is a conversation with people, about people. Don't get so caught up in YouTube videos about critical theory that you forget. This is a conversation we should be having with our friends, with our family. This isn't a thing we rage about, some ideology that's out there on YouTube. This is a conversation for our friends and for our family, with them and stay engaged. And then remember, we have the good news of Jesus Christ. We have the better story. And the better story, it starts in Genesis 1, not in Genesis 3. We're pretty good at Genesis 3. We're all sinners. But remember, our story starts in Genesis 1. Yes, we've got to get to Genesis 3, but it starts in Genesis 1. Why do I remind us of that? Because we have a great opportunity in the midst of the culture wars. We know that Jesus' authority is good because we know that in the beginning God made humanity in his image. And Genesis 1 tells us that on that day God made humanity, God actually says this, I was having a very good day. (laughs) Therefore, We know exactly where people who are searching for their identity will find it. Isn't that the issue behind the issue? 
the issue behind sexual freedom, the issue behind gender freedom, it's an identity issue. And our sexual identity, our gender identity, is only part of who we are. And because they are only part of who we are, they will never, ever be able to hold us up. Western culture at the moment is putting so much weight on sexual identity and gender identity, it will never be able to hold itself up. This is going to break Western culture. God says our identity is so much more than our sexual identity and our gender identity. We have been made in the image of God. We have the better story. And we need to learn to speak it in a way that Jesus would be proud of with gentleness and humility and getting alongside our friends and our family. We are eternal beings created for an eternal God. That's our identity. That is the identity of every single human that has walked this planet and God is good and gentle and kind. Do you love Jesus' authority? Question. If you don't, whose authority do you love? The authority of Jesus is either a rock we break ourselves on or a paradise we find eternal life in. Do you love Jesus' authority? <laughs> every single word, every single command, every single de design, everything, everything in him is good and beautiful and wonderful. Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus brings springs of living water. Jesus is saviour. Jesus is king. Je Jesus is beautiful. Let's pray and it looks like there's a couple of questions. Oh, Father God, help us love you more. Help us come and thirst and hunger at your word. And, and, and if need be, not, not even leave your word until we're satisfied with your goodness. Help us taste and see that you are good. Father, we pray this because we need you. But Father, we also want to be used by you to get alongside a world, to get alongside our friends, to get alongside our family who also need you. We pray this for your glory. Amen. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for our latest sermon, or better yet, join us live at 9.30 or 5 p.m. Sunday. You can find all the details on our website at tpcc.org dot a use.